0: If you would like, turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter six. If you're new to Urban Grace and you and or you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand and hands or hand, and uh, someone will come and bring you a Bible. If that's your first Bible, we would encourage you to keep it, and if it's not, then go ahead and return that. So next week we can give it to someone else. Um, but we're going to be hanging in the book of Isaiah in chapter six. And this is a very important passage for the subject that we're going to talk about this morning. And so I'll just dive right into it this morning. Finley, that's my fault. I'll take that one. That almost always happens. But we're, we're going to start a new series. Again, as, as Matt said, and I, like, like Joel, when you prayed, I thought, I'll sit down. That's the sermon right there, what Joel prayed. But we're in a series uh, on the Father God And what we've done is kind of sequentially gone actually kind of backwards for most Christians. Instead of going Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we've gone Holy Spirit, Son, and Father. In a way to kind of reverse so that we understand that this is not kind of a singular concept of God. If if you're brand new to Christianity, Christians will say something along the lines of, we believe in a triune God, a three-in-one. That means one God, as the Shema has said, in three distinct persons. I know, for, for those of us who are still trying to get our heads around that, you never will. It hurts your brain to understand this concept of three in one. It's, it's where most religions separate from Christianity, by the way. It's hard to understand, but it's very important to understand because God did not want to reveal Himself purely through one aspect or one person. He wanted to reveal Himself through His Father heart, through the Son who we call Jesus Christ, and through the Holy Spirit who was sent out to everyone who believes in the name of Jesus Christ. The Son is the mediator between God the Father and us. He is the great high priest and the Holy Spirit is given to carry out the work of Jesus Christ without the restriction of a body. I know that this is kind of crazy to understand, by the way. So if you're struggling to get that, it takes a while. Even my 12-year-old kid was like, hey, Dinah, what does this look like? She's like, dad, this is really hard to comprehend. I hope you know that. I said, it doesn't get easier the older you get. And this is one of the only jobs where you can say that it's a mystery and get away with it, right? Like if you go to a mechanic and, and you're, you're, or if you've got a flat tire and the t- technician says, you know what, it's a mystery how your tire got flat. You're like, you're not a good technician. I'm going somewhere else. But as a preacher, that's all I have. Is there is this mystery that is really hard to explain. And this morning I'm going to try to explain the unexplainable. Why do you think I pray about this? And ask for help in this. It's because it's very difficult to to understand what we're going to try to tackle. But I think this is a particularly helpful text because of its context and because of what is in the text. We have a kind of a practice here at Urban Grace of looking in what we believe is God's Word, the Bible, and then unpacking what we believe the Bible says and trying to apply it to our lives. It is relevant. We're just wanting to understand that relevance. And so if you're brand new to Christianity or brand new to church or the Bible this morning, our hope is that you can at least understand that this is important. And this is crucial to understanding who God is. And this morning, I'm going to try to first talk about the unexplainable. Explain the unexplainable. Yeah, good luck with that. Secondly, I'm going to talk about something in the text, the response that Isaiah has to this unexplainable, which is very understandable. And then lastly, I'm going to talk about something that we don't expect at all. I'm going to talk about the unexpected response of God to both himself and Isaiah's response. And so Joel read it out for us this morning. I don't think I'll read it out again, but I will be referring to it over and over again. Again, Isaiah chapter 6. It's about, oh, say, middle of your Bible. Um, If you have an app or a phone, you can even look it up on that. It might be just as easy. But the story of Isaiah is a very interesting one. It's written uh, quite a while into the story of how God is developing his people. So at the beginning of the Bible is really the beginning of the story of God uh, developing his people. And in some ways he creates them perfect and they, they make a big mess. And so the rest of the story of God is how God is redeeming and trying to get back to that original view that he had, a real, original vision of his people. And and they continually mess it up. And there was a long season where they they kept misunderstanding that the blessing that God was giving and their crops were growing, they were wealthy, they had a lot of resources, and they had the land that they were given that God had provided for them. And they kept mistaking that for, uh, we're doing everything right. You ever done that with your parents or someone else? They, they, you mistake their grace toward you or their generosity toward you as you're doing the right thing. And so this is what was happening with the people of God as they were misunderstanding this. And Isaiah was given the awesome, and I mean that in the real sense of the word, the awesome task to proclaim an awesome God. But he was quite discouraged. And so that's the first part that I'm going to get into. He talks a lot about God's holiness as a way of reminding the people who God is. They needed a clear vision of who He was and what He was about. The the word holy is a weird word for us. We don't use it very often. Maybe we use it at the beginning of a phrase like holy cow or holy something else. That's the only place we use this word possibly. It's lost so much meaning and it doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people. But if you're a Christian or if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, actually I would say this is one of the most important words we need to know about God. One of the most important descriptions of God we have. And it's not incidental that I'm putting this message at the beginning of all of the various attributes because I think if we misunderstand God's holiness, we'll misunderstand His love at the same time. And so we need to understand this. The book of Isaiah uses the word, uh, the phrase, "the Holy One of Israel." Also, that's his favorite name for God. That's how he described God as the Holy One of Israel. And to put this in context, when Jesus came upon the earth and he asked his disciples, "What do you think of me?" They said, "Well," they said, basically, Jesus said to his disciples, those who were following him, you know, "Are you going to follow me too? Or are you going to simply?" when I have a hard word for you, you're going to leave. And one of his disciples says, where else would we go? We know you're the Holy One of Israel. Meaning his disciples were, even though they didn't have all the concept of who God was, they were looking at Jesus and going, you're you're God. An enormous statement. And then when Jesus rose from the dead, he actually said to his disciples, before you go on mission, wait for my Holy Spirit. In other words, every aspect of God is holy and it's important to understand that. And so let's get a little bit into the vision, the unexplainable that I would say. In the year that King Uzziah died, I've got to stop there and say that doesn't mean much to you because very few of you are uh, Isaiahianic scholars, right? Anyone here a scholar of this particular book? Or Isaiah if you really want to sound educated? British always use that word, Isaiah. So if you want to sound like you know what you're talking about, just say Isaiah. Don't say it like that, but say it. But in the year that King Uzziah died, not Isaiah, Uzziah, this is really important to the context. What what has happened is, is Isaiah has been given this this job. He's a preacher. He's a prophet. That's what they're called in the Old Testament or the Old Covenant or the old story before we know about Jesus. And he is given this job to preach and no one's going to listen. How'd you like that for a job description? Your job is to make sure everyone in your company hears this, but don't worry, they won't ever listen to you. They might hear you, but they won't actually listen to what you're saying. This was Isaiah's job description. God said, you know, you're going to have to tell people stuff and they're never going to listen to you, but you need to tell them because they need to know that they had heard this previously before I bring judgment upon them. There was a, a disciplinary period called the exile or about 70 years where God basically removed them from their land and essentially just like you would discipline a a wayward child he disciplined them by making them live where they didn't want to live and making them live in a culture that they didn't like and that was totally opposite of what they had grown up with so that their their eyes were open to the fact that God was trying to speak to them and this king, King Uzziah, was actually one of the best kings Israel had ever had. He was a great king. He had a, he had a reign of over 50 years. Now put this in, even in today's terms, that's a long time, isn't it? Like if we had a prime minister or a president or a premier that had a 50-year leadership reign, we would say that's a pretty serious leader. In those days it was as well, because it was easy for kings to die, and they, they often got assassinated and sick, etc., etc, etc. And this king was a great king. He actually followed God. He had spent a lot of time uh, going to war and winning battles, and he was considered a hero amongst almost the whole people of Israel. But he got arrogant. At about year 40, he decided that he was more important than the priest. Now, I have to back up and explain some of these things for us. In those days, if you wanted to get close to God, you had to go through a priest who went to a temple to talk to God. I mean, those days are gone. Praise the Lord. Yeah, you can come here and you can meet with God without having to go through all that. But until those times, you had to go through a mediator, the priest. That's why we say Jesus is the great high priest. He's the one we go through now. Not human priests. Sometimes I get confu- people confuse me. And say, you're pastor, so you're basically a priest, right? No, no. I'm not the go-between between me and God. You and God. Happens all the time to those who are brand new to, you know, they, they don't know what a pastor is. I, I meet people like that, right? They, they don't understand that, that Jesus is the go-between between us and God. Not me. Uzziah thinks he's better than the priest. He wants to do the old end around. And say, I'm so important, I brought so much success to this country that I, I can basically go into the temple myself and offer the sacrifices myself, and I can accomplish everything. Like get out of my way, and some of the priests come up to him and say, That's not the way God works, Uzziah. Just because you're the king does not mean you can just do it however you want. Doesn't mean you can just go talk to God however you want. And Isaiah says, get out of here. Get out of my way. I'm going to do it my way. And at that moment, it says, and this story is found in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 26. At that moment, a weird, contagious skin disease starts to show up on his forehead called leprosy. And leprosy was a strange disease, and it was harsh in some ways because it meant complete quarantine from the rest of culture. So you could, you could stay alive, but you, you literally had to live away from cult- the rest of culture. Now, as a king, this is a problem, isn't it? He essentially, for the last 10 years of his life, has to live in the guest house of the palace while his son does all the ruling and reigning because he thought he was better than God. When he died, however, it was a, a national day of mourning. Anyone remember the day where Prince, when Princess Diana died? Anyone remember that? You remember where you were, right? Like there are still television programs that lay out the timeline. Like it's a national day of mourning. Imagine a king, 50 years. It's a national day of mourning. And guess what the big question is? Who is going to be king? I'm sure Isaiah, even as a prophet, is still thinking this. He's wondering, I I hate my job. Nobody listens to me. God told me that. Now the best leader we've had in decades is gone. Who's going to be king? And in the year that King Uzziah dies, I see the Lord seated upon the throne. Start to make sense? What Isaiah is trying to say here is when our earthly king died, it was that year and that time when I saw the real king on the real throne. It's amazing. You don't think there's a lot in a couple of words. But imagine this for a moment. So show me the real king. Honestly, he's the kind of guy that understands a little bit of the real king, and he said, it terrifies me. You ever been terrified? Like, just terrified beyond terrified. Like, you don't, you don't have words. Like, not meeting an important person, but like, you're terrified. I grew up on a farm. We had two houses. One was the new house. One was the old house. Okay, I was actually born and was, I guess I lived in the old house for a little while. But I was run down, never kept up. It was where my mom and dad stored all the things, including the potatoes in the cellar. And at times my mom would say, hey Trev, can you go grab some potatoes in the cellar 500 feet away in an old house where the windows look like two eyes that want to reach out and grab you? Go down a dark cellar with no lights and a wooden floor and get some potatoes out for me for supper. Terrified me. I was like, you better be asking before five o'clock because I'm not going in that house at night. Okay, that's a bad terrified. This is the good terrified. And it's even more terrifying. There's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide for Isaiah. He sees the... The Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. So this is a priest talking. He knows what a temple is like. It would roughly be around the size of what this building is right here. Somewhere in that range. Maybe a little bit smaller. But much more impressive. Made pure gold. The curtains are super thick. It's the best of the best. All of the creative people in the entire country come together and make this temple. And they make it awesome. There's a whole book in the Bible about how to build it. That's how impressive it is. Here's what Isaiah sees. His pant leg fills the temple. Like that's all he sees, the train of his robe, the cuff. Now imagine you're Isaiah and you're like, okay, I knew God was big, but I see like his pant leg. That's all I see fill the most intense place that I've ever imagined God to be. Plus there's smoke, plus there's this huge enormous angel. This is the best picture I have of it. The seraphim, I think it's the next phrase. I mean, and in, you see Lord of the Rings, these kinds of shows, red Lord of the Rings. It's this is an impressive creature. Six wings, Wings above, wings on eyes, wings on legs. It means a lot of different things. It literally was was trying to like, even the angel who God sent to tell him about his holiness could not look at God that sent him. He had wings to cover his own eyes because it was so impressive that if he would have caught a glimpse of God, he would have died. And he was a perfect created angel. I know I'm yelling, but this 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 is impressive, you guys. Yeah, somebody say amen. Help a brother. And it's this seraphim, this impressive angel figure with just, just an enormous figure who screams out this message Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In your Bible, you actually see this Lord of hosts, is the Lord of hosts. And if you've got a translation that helps you out, you see all caps with that Lord of hosts. You see earlier, there's a small caps Lord and there's a large caps Lord. That's not a typo. The large caps Lord is the actual name Yahweh. It was such an impressive name of God that they never spelled it out completely for fear of being blasphemous and being smote on the spot. So they just shortened it up and, and all we got is the all caps, Lord. And then the small caps, Lord, is the kind of the, the, the title, like who he is. It's, it means sovereign one. So when you say Lord of Lords, what you're saying is Yahweh the Sovereign. That's what that means. It's a name title. It's like Prime Minister Trudeau. It's his title and his name, right? You get that? So what he does, his name. Holy, holy, holy is the sovereign Lord of everything. All angels. That's what the Lord of hosts means. The whole earth is full of your glory. You think the pant leg's impressive. You can't even see him. In fact, there's a scripture that says, no one has ever seen God. That's amazing. That's either true or crazy. Crazy. There is not one person who has seen God and lived. Up until this point, no one's really got that big of a glimpse of God at all. Moses was one of the closest. Here's what happened with Moses. Moses was like, I would like to meet you face to face. And God was like, you don't want that because you will die. You ever been out in the snow, on a glacier, on a bright sunny day? It can almost kill you. Like you don't have sunglasses, you get sun blindness. Like you get sandpaper feelings on your eyes from a couple of minutes of exposure. Imagine there was nowhere else to go and you didn't have sunglasses. This is some of what it's like to experience God. And Moses said, I would like to see you face to face. And God says, you will die and I don't really want to kill you. So here's what I'll do. You hide behind this rock and I'll pass over and you will feel my shadow as I pass by. That's the closest you're gonna get to how awesome God is. What does holy mean? Ultimately, it means separate. It means above. It means pure. It's a multifaceted word. Separate in that it's it's a way. I think the closest thing it was R.C. Sproul, who wrote a great book, the best book that I know on this subject, called The Holiness of God. Should be on everyone's bookshelf who wants to know more about God, honestly. It's a great book. And what he says is, the, the best phrase that we could come up with in English is like, a cut above everyone else, right? You, you see that if you encounter a good product, right? You go into a store and there's a good product and it will say, a cut above everything else. Better than the rest. That's what holy essentially means. A cut above everyone else. Not everything else. Everyone else. And everything else. It means pure. It means right. So there's a moral dimension to holy and there's a physical kind of dimension to holy. Some of you are somewhat terrified and honestly, this is the right response. Of this kind of God. The same God. We haven't changed who we're talking about here. We talk about Jesus, we're still talking about God. He is a perfect God who always does what is right all the time, every time. Do you know anyone else like that who claims that even? Some of us have maybe been in trouble with the law. You want a judge that's on your side who maybe doesn't do everything that's right all the time if it works in your favor. That's kind of what we hope for, right? You're speeding down the road and you want a police officer who will look the other way because you're in a hurry today. But the next day when they're trying to catch the other guy going fast, you want him to like be on your side again and not for that person. You want an impartial judge. This is not Jesus. This is not God the Father. He's not impartial to some. He's right every time to all people. All times. Never makes a mistake. Never lets someone get away with something when they shouldn't. Never misses anything. Never doesn't have all the information so he can't make a good rational decision. This is Holy God, pure, right, a cut above, anything you can imagine. Now, why does it say holy, holy, holy? Again, triple triple holy, doesn't mean a whole lot. We don't talk like this today, right? Like if someone said, how are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm good, good, good. You don't say that. We don't talk like this. Doesn't exist in Hebrew literature, by the way, except here. And it's kind of like concentric circles. Like if you want to emphasize something, you say it more than once. It's a couple times it happens twice. Like when Jesus says, truly, truly I say to you. He's saying like truth and like double truth. True, double, true. Jesus said it first. This is not Twice. This is the only time something is repeated three times and it's the only word that is repeated three times and here's what it is. Holy, holy, holy. In spite of the fact that Moses did get that backside glance at God, his response when he discovered God's holiness was he took off his shoes. That's all he knew how to do. He's like, I'm not worthy for this. Remember, What's that movie? We're Not Worthy, right? Some of you remember that? That dates me. I know it does. Wayne's World, right. We're Not Worthy. They said it jokingly, but this is essentially Isaiah. I'm not worthy. The people I'm in aren't worthy. The Bible never says that God is love, love, love. Never says that God is mercy, mercy, mercy. Never even says that God is grace, 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 but it does say He is holy, Holy, holy. It's so important for us to get this. Because this essentially sets the stage for how grace looks. Like, if that's true about God, and I absolutely believe that it is, then what happens next is quite amazing. Here's what happens next. Next point. Totally understandable. Totally understandable. What is Isaiah's response? Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. And I live amongst a people of unclean lips. Now let's, let's, let's talk about this for a second. Isaiah is a prophet. What is his main tool for doing his job? His lips. Some scholars say that it's, it's also um, what comes out of the mouth is indicative of what's in our heart. We all know that. There's an essence in which, like when someone says, oh, I'm just joking, we always say, yeah, but there's an element of truth in what you say because whatever you say, there's something deeper underneath it. So we understand this concept. Either way, I don't think it matters. I think the point that Isaiah is driving home is, here's my best. Here's the best tool. Here's the tool that's set aside for God. And it's not worthy. The best that I have is does not even compare to the standard that is needed. And even if my lips were clean, then I live amongst a bunch of people who also are corrupt. I'm corrupt. They're corrupt. Jesus, just kill me now. Woe unto me. We don't use that phrase either, except I found out that people still use it today. There's a Yiddish phrase that's like this, and it's called oy vey. You ever heard that word? It means woe is me. You don't say it at the end of a celebration. You say it when you realize what kind of you're in. I've had those moments in my life before. You get a sense of what kind of trouble you're in. You just get that weight. You get that the blood just rises up in your face and you're just like, oh boy. Oh vei, oi vei. I'm toast. Totally understandable, is it not? If this is what he sees, if, if that picture was what he saw and then what he heard, smoke always was used by God to separate himself from other people. Again, to go back to this story of Moses is is Moses would sometimes go in the tent and speak to God. He wouldn't see him, but he would speak to God. And what did God use to cover the tent up and to separate himself from the rest of the people? Smoke. That's what he used. Closely associated with fire. Not fire, but very closely. Used as a way of separating himself and saying there's something separate. There's something holy about this conversation. No wonder, Isaiah says, I'm dead. (laughs) I'm toast. That's the right thing to do, God. Destroy me. Destroy me. I can't stand in your presence. I don't deserve to be here. He's supposed to be a preacher. He's supposed to be one of the most set apart people in all of the planet who speaks on behalf of God. And he says, I can't even jump over this guy's pant leg. I can't even get up to his cuff. It's so impressive. Unclean was also a word that is used to separate. Like it wasn't always necessarily sin. It, it, it also just kind of meant separation from the camp. Like leprosy declared you unclean for life until you were healed. Separated. Not able to be in the camp with all the other cool kids. He said, I'm unclean. I shouldn't be here. I get that. I get that. There are times when I just feel the weight of God and I just, I mean, even to preach this sermon, I honestly said, no one will believe me. I can't do this. I am not worthy to stand up here and tell people about the holiness of God when I barely comprehend any of it myself. And what's worse is I disregard it way more than I care to admit. I mean, I had to pray, God, help me understand your holiness because I know that I'm feeling flippant about this, way more flippant than I should. Well, I do not stand here saying, you need to understand God's holiness. I stand here saying I don't hardly understand God's holiness. I feel like I'm starting to get a glimpse of the pant cuff. That's it. So what do we do with this? What happens? Here's what I love about this story. Even in the discussion of the holiness of God, even in the separateness, even when God wants to display how much better he is, how much a cut above, what does he do? He could have showed his power by going. Right? Like that shows your power. It does. Whether we like it or not. Like cartoons where it's like, I want to show my power off. It's like, bam, I can destroy that. No problem. He chooses not to. What does he do? He gets the messenger of the holiness of God, the seraphim. He says, I know that seraphim can't even hardly look at me, can't look at me or... Or he'll die. Impressive creature. I want him to take a coal from the altar. I want him to cauterize his mouth. Clean it up. Seal it. Isaiah just sits there. And accepts the grace of God. This is why I say this passage actually patterns how the gospel works. Because the gospel is a holy God wants to have a relationship with a very unholy people. And the first, the first idea that we're unholy people is we don't think we're that bad off. That's the first problem we have is we don't realize our real problems sometimes. But he doesn't depend on us to cauterize our own lips, to clean ourselves up before we come to God. He does exactly what he does to Isaiah, which he says, someone will mediate and will touch your mouth and will cauterize it, clean it up. They still do this today. It stops disease. It's a healing agent. It cleans things. Heat still destroys germs. It still destroys disease. And what God says is through Jesus, He'll put cauterization on your hearts. This is awesome. I'm not saying that like little kid awesome. I'm saying this is awesome. This is an amazing project by God the Father. that he said, I will atone for your sin. I will do my work. I will clean you up. I will take away all of your guilt. Some of us are racked with guilt and shame. We can't hardly live our lives because we are so ashamed of the secret part of our life. We all have a secret part of our life all of us. Imagine if everyone in this room right now found out everything that you thought all the time this week. How'd you feel? Embarrassed? Some of you want to be here? Nope, not me. See you later. I do not want to be here if that's what's going to happen this morning. Sometimes I'll tell people I'm a pastor and, you know, they'll like, put out their cigarettes and be like, oh, I'm sorry I said, you know, dirty words. And I'm like, I don't have this ability to atone for your sin or to remove your guilt. Why? That's not the truth about Jesus at all. The truth about Jesus is he's the one who mediates for us. And the Bible says, if we believe in the name of Jesus, we get this. What? Any of you right now, they have a question mark? Like, that's what I have to do to receive this? Yes. That's actually what the gospel says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to cauterize our heart of all unrighteousness. I mean, even as I said, I said, that is so much more impressive hearing that out loud than just in our heads, isn't it? That's why we gather week in and week out. Don't you need to hear that? I mean, even if you don't yet believe it's true, don't you wish that it could be true? Don't you say, this is how it would be done if I could really do this right. This would be amazing if this was actually the truth. And here's what I believe, it is the truth. I would not stand here and scream out loud if I did not believe this with all my heart. That you and me are just like Isaiah. We don't belong in the presence of a holy God, truthfully, but we can be when we believe in the name of Jesus Christ. We, like Isaiah, need this cleansing. This cleansing really comes through one mediator. There's only one name by which men and women can be saved. There's only one name by which men and women can ultimately be cleansed. There's only one name by which men and women can have their guilt and sin atoned for. There is only one name which men and women can believe in all across the world. And that name is Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's the name by which all the spiritual beings in all the world shudder. When Jesus cast out demons, do you know what they called him? Demons, by the way. Do you know what the demons called him? Get away from us! You're the holy one of Israel. Jesus is like, you don't get to preach that, so you shut up. I won't let someone else tell me that I'm the holy one of Israel. You go into these pigs over here. It's amazing that we get to be part of this. It's a great honor. To sing holy, holy, holy. It's a great honor. It's a great honor to be one of God's children that is cleaned up by Him, that is viewed as pure. Because what happens in the next verse, this is a whole other sermon, but this actually sends then Isaiah back on his mission because he was a discouraged prophet who probably had his hands in his pockets and was like, good grief, God. What am I going to say? And he has this vision. Then what does he say Immediately. God's like, okay, who's going to preach for me now? And he's like, here I am, send me. I can do this now because I've seen a holy God. Some commentators think this was a small glimpse of who Jesus actually really was before he came and showed himself on earth. It's what we still need today. You and I don't need some Advice on how to live our lives better. We need a vision of the Holy God that cauterizes us to the point where we put up our hands and we say, Who will tell people about this? And we say, I will. I will. I'll go. I'll say something. What do you say? I don't know. I'll just tell them what I saw. Some of us think the mission is is all these words that we have to think up and we got to lay this out right. No, no, we just say that the mission is telling people about your experience with Jesus. And honestly, you won't tell anyone about your experience with Jesus if you don't have that vision of an awesome God. Have you ever met someone who thinks what they just discovered is awesome? Like any of you on Facebook, right? There are lots of people that think lots of things are awesome that aren't. Food is not that awesome. God is awesome. But you won't talk about God like he's awesome unless you see him as awesome. I believe that with all my heart. And all I have prayed for this morning is not that you get advice on how to live your life better, but that you can see the risen Jesus as awesome. As the savior for you, as the one who gives you all the hope you need, as the one who, who removes all your guilt, as the one who takes away all your shame. And that's all we want to do here this morning. These are the kinds of things that we want people like Rob and Dana to teach Finley. That's what we're about here as a church about equipping you so that you can take out and take the people that are in your influence and say, let me tell you about someone who's amazing. Let me tell you about my experience with the risen Savior. Let me tell you about the experience with a holy God who somehow reached down and touched me and made my life different and changed my life. Ben, would you come up as we explain this little thing we call the family meal? Every week we do this as a family. We call it the family meal. You might know it as the Eucharist. You might know it as the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, the Last Supper, Communion. All of those things apply depending on your tradition. We think it's so important to remember the death and resurrection of the risen Savior because what He did on the cross to pay for our sins and to atone, which that's what a pay for means, is awesome. We think it's worthwhile to celebrate every week. We don't think this should be put to a quarterly celebration. We think you need to hear this, feel this, experience this week in and week out when we gather together. And so that's what this is. The bread really represents that Jesus was incarnate. He became flesh. He was God become man. And the the, the bread, the crackers symbolize that this is partaking. Jesus was one of us. He was in person. He did not stand away on the throne. He did not sit on the throne his whole life. He came as a missionary to us, to reach us, to cauterize our hearts. And in order to do that, he had to pay a price on the cross and shed his blood. That's what the cup represents. So see that as a meal together. Jesus was here. He paid the price. That's the meal. And I would say, if you believe that, we, we invite you, no matter where you're from, What church you're a part of, what tradition you're a part of, you come and celebrate with us because we all believe this together. If you don't yet believe this, I would say this meal won't magically do something for you. It's for those who believe this. But if you don't believe this, my question is whether you're a visitor here or if you've been here from day one, is why don't you believe? Read read it for yourself, ask for yourself. And believe and trust in Jesus and then come and take and celebrate. So let's celebrate together as the band leads us.